We began a new study last week, and that study was in regards to our faith and taking the next right step. You know, not knowing for sure what is the next right step brings so much anxiety and uncertainty into our lives because we're making decisions every day about what to do next. Some of the decisions are very small and obviously some very large and life-changing. And we want to have the confidence that what we're about to do is the right thing, but often we are left with this big question mark and uncertainty. When we are uncertain, it causes worry. We begin to fear because we don't know how it's all going to work out. That obviously multiplies itself potentially into anxiety, which then robs away our rest, our thought processes, can even rob away our health. And so faith is a very key piece in our lives. We walk by faith, not by sight. And this understanding of faith is being able to, with confidence and conviction, be able to take the next right step regardless of circumstances or consequences. And so the, an entire chapter of our Bible, of Hebrews chapter 11, is devoted. I believe God just let, set this aside, and we often call this the hall of faith, the people who walked by faith with God, and we see them each by faith do something. They're not being saved by their works, but their works, because they believe God, are manifested. They just take the next step of faith that's in front of them. They don't know the circumstances, or the circumstances are certainly uncertain around them. They definitely don't always know the consequences. No one can have the crystal ball to see what's coming. But they all knew one thing. What God's word said this, this is the next step I'm going to take, and I'm going to trust God for how this is all going to work out. This is a difficult story, I think, today. But it's a story where the blood still speaks or the voice still speaks. And I think about people that have influenced my life that have long since passed away, but their influence was huge. And I look back on, on obviously the martyrs of the faith that from the time of the disciples being martyred and dying for their conviction, they were Christ followers. Many of them would have had eyewitness, been an eyewitness of Christ. And so they loved him dearly proclaimed the message of Jesus, believed on the resurrection and wanted everybody to know it. And in many cases, they passed away for that. And I, I go through the time of history and think back through church history where all these people that believed the word of God and proclaimed it and preserved it so that today I hold a book in my hand that people died for this book so that I can have it today in a language I can understand. And every time you pick the word up, just recognize there are literally millions of people who gave their lives and were, were put in a spot to recant of what they were believing, and they refused to recant and ended up passing away as a result of it, and the word of God continued. I think about missions that through the years where missionaries believed God, and they were taking steps forward, and they had no idea what was going to happen next, oftentimes were being dissuaded from going where God would tell them to go but they refused to give in. They refused to listen to the councils and the boards and all these things. Instead, they said, you know what? God told me to do it. I'm doing it. I remember when we were living in Asia and uh, had the opportunity to run into people who were Christ followers that were up in years. And they had been influenced, their family through the generations had been influenced by Hudson Taylor and the Inland China, China Mission. When you look back on that story of Hudson, man, he wasn't being supported real well. People didn't believe he should go do anything. They weren't in favor of where he was going and what he was about. But he went. 
And fruit remains, and now generations later, fruit still remains and multiplies in places all over that nation. And these are influencers. Today we're going to study the influence. And the word that still speaks from somebody who was martyred almost 6,000 years ago. Adam and Eve's kids. I mean, we're like coming right out of the gate with their own children. And yet it's the first story recorded of, of faith in the Hall of Faith chapter of Hebrews 11. I invite you to turn there to Hebrews 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts and through it, he being dead still speaks. So we have two figures in this story so far, and it's Cain and Abel. Abel offering a gift unto the Lord that was uh, an acceptable sacrifice, and then his brother Cain, who, as we will see, did not offer the acceptable sacrifice. They grew up in the same home. They both had the same opportunity. They had the same influencer. They heard the same word. Now, how do we know this? Well, let's, let's examine. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 4 and see what happened. In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel in his offering, but he did not respect Cain in his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you shall rule over it. Now, here's what we have. Cain and Abel both bringing an offering unto the Lord in the process of time. So there was obviously a devoted time they knew to bring it. They obviously are bringing it at about the same time. They're bringing two different things, though. Cain being a tiller of the ground is bringing the fruit of what comes up out of the ground, vegetables and fruits and those kinds of things. That in and of itself is not bad or wrong. If you see later in the law, after someone was to make a sin offering, they would then offer of the fruit of the ground, and these would be other types of offerings unto the Lord. But God did not respect this offering of Cain, but he did respect Abel, who brought the firstling of his flock, which would have been a lamb, and would have sacrificed this lamb unto the Lord. Well, the question then is, it's a fair question, is, well, did they both know what they were supposed to sacrifice or are they just both doing what seems right at the time and it's just, dude, you're a crop guy and I'm a, I'm a livestock guy, so we just bring the, the first fruits of our stuff. But it would be very apparent from Scripture that God showed the respect unto Abel's offering, but not Cain's, and Cain seemed to know better. So let's answer some questions today and consider this, because what is this text really teaching that why would the blood of Abel, that I'll show you in a moment, why would this still be speaking to us even today? I can assure you that God is not arbitrary in his dealings with us. He's not playing games with Cain and Abel. Bring what you want. I'm going to choose this one, reject that one, and when you bring the right thing, you'll finally figure it out. God's not playing games here. So where did they ever learn? Well, there's pieces that we can know for sure. When... Cain and Abel's parents sinned in the garden against God and rejected the word of God. It is God who made the first offering. God made the first sacrifice because God uh, killed an animal and then dressed them with the clothes or the tunic of that animal. Let's see it, Genesis 3.21. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin 
and clothed them. This is the first death outside of a spiritual one that took place in Scripture, and it's God killing one of his created in order to cover the sin that has already happened with Adam and Eve. The sin offering now becomes clear. It's the, a blood offering. This sets a template that follows through the rest of Scripture that we now see, but Cain, or, or Cain nor Abel would have seen this yet. They're just to obey God right here, right now. But what we now see is at this point, it was one lamb for one man. Eventually, when you get to the book of Exodus, it'll be one lamb for one family. Well, then later it will become one lamb for one nation. And then ultimately it leads all the way to Jesus Christ, the lamb of God, one lamb for the entire world. So God's teaching something here and leading with a story that we can't miss. Real people, real time, doing real stuff. But how did they know? How did Abel know to bring this, or did he just lock into it by bringing the right thing? No, because God recorded, by faith, Abel did this. Which means, listen, he, Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says this, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The Lord God has spoken, and Abel is responding to God's words by faith, and now making the offering that God has already instructed. He had the living example of a sin offering being offered to cover the sin of his parents. And so now what we have is Cain is coming, bringing his own manner to God and Abel bringing what God has instructed and coming by faith and obedience. So here's Cain's failure. Cain's failure in this was his self-will by not offering a blood offering. He's not acknowledging his sin. Now he may be making an offering with a, a devoted heart and with all sincerity, if I just want to honor God today with my fruits and veggies, because this is the, the first fruits of my crop. The problem is he will not acknowledge his sinfulness. And God is always established in this pathway to us of fellowship with God is through a blood offering, ultimately the blood offering of Jesus Christ the Lord. And he's not going to allow Cain to jump over that. So what we're going to observe is Cain goes about establishing his own righteousness, but he's also establishing his own religion, and God rejects it from the very beginning. In fact, as we get into the New Testament of our Bible, it's called the way of Cain, and the way of Cain is a way of wickedness. It's a way of evil. It is the way of religion that rejects Jesus Christ as the only way of salvation. But I want you to notice in this same text of how God extends mercy to Cain. Even though Cain brings the wrong stuff, God continues to extend his mercy in giving Cain the opportunity to repent, to turn from the air and make it right. Back in this text, the Lord said to Cain in verse 6, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? I want you to notice the emotional reaction of Cain. I brought God what I wanted to bring him. And it's not good enough. But he did accept my brother. And boy, that burned me. And Cain's angry. And so God's asking him, why are you so upset? I instructed you to take the step of faith, and you would not. You rejected my word, and now you're mad? Because I showed respect unto your brother and the offering that he made by faith, but you don't like what I've done, what, what you've done here. And so now what does God do with him? Verse 7 of, of this same chapter says, if you do well, if, Cain, listen, 
if you do well, will you not be accepted? He's throwing him a bone here. Mercy extended. Cain, you can get this right. Make a sin offering, son. And he won't do it. And he says, if, you, if you'll do this, you'll be accepted. And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you shall rule over it. And we learn something here. This sin that is taking over Cain is this self-will, prideful religion. I'm coming to God on my terms, my way, not God's terms. Excuse me, in God's way. And therefore, uh, God now, even though extending his mercy, ultimately Cain will reject God's mercy and just be angry. Because his religion is rejected. Cain is just like the religious leaders in Jesus' day. Because the righteous one, Jesus Christ, is on the scene. He validated he was the Son of God distinctly through the miracles. No one could do what Jesus did. All prophecy of the Old Testament fulfilled in this man, Jesus Christ, and so there's no question he is the Messiah, yet the religious leaders rejected this idea because why? Jesus comes to pay the sin debt where they already believed they had taken care of all that. By the offering of blood, the blood of bulls and goats and calves and all these things, we're good. We don't need a Savior to save us from our sin. We took care of that in the blood offerings that we've already made at the temple all the time. They didn't see any need for a Savior whatsoever, so they come to God on their terms in the way they wanted to do it, and Jesus says no. And here's the context for this. Jesus explains, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. John 14, 6. This is critical. It's critical for us today because, quite frankly, in our world today, it seems everyone has some form of faith. It's either faith in believing in the one true God, faith in believing there are multiple gods, or even faith in believing there are no gods at all. It still takes a measure of faith because at the end of the day, you're trusting that what you believe is right and you're ready to stake it, stake your claim on it. And so when a, a Christian comes along and proclaims, well, you know what, the, word, the Bible says that Jesus is the only way, and people might acknowledge that, you know, I think Jesus is a way, but as long as you have faith in something, in a higher power or somebody that is considered God, then God looks upon that with respect and sees your devoted heart, your sincerity, and you actually are tipping your hat and acknowledging the fact there is God or a higher being, so surely that's enough. Well, if that be true, then Jesus is a liar. Because Jesus is the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Well, I, I think Jesus is a good guy and Jesus is a good teacher. And yeah, he may even be the son of God, but to claim him to be the only way that by faith in Jesus Christ is the only way, really? Yes, because that's the words of Jesus himself. And this is where the whole gospel comes to play. Is, do you believe the word of God and by faith trust Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation? What did Abel believe? Abel believed God's word and by faith offered the offering that God had called for. This is the offering that would put Abel and God in perfect fellowship because 
He's just simply obeying God's word. Through this, and back to Hebrews 11, chapter, chapter 11, verse 4, says that through which he, being able, obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gift. It is God who is the one who testified that Abel's a righteous man. Is he a righteous man because he never sinned? No. Abel was a sinful man just like you and me. He needed a sin offering, and God had already established that the remission of sins, meaning sin is put back by the blood of somebody spilled. And in this case, for all these years, through the entire Old Testament in our Bible, it was a lamb, it was a goat, it was a bull. Blood was spilled. It did not pay for the sin debt. It simply pushed it back. It pushed it back another year and another year and another year. And God would declare a person righteous because they believed God in his word and would make this offering unto the Lord that he called out for. But it didn't purify and give rightful entry to heaven at this point yet because the ultimate sin debt had not been paid until Jesus Christ. And when Jesus came 2,000 years ago, when the Son of God himself died as the Lamb of God on the cross, then sin was paid in full for all of humanity. And then, by faith in him, we are declared righteous. God declared Abel righteous. He declared, and listen, this verse said, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying. God is the one who declared this so. Because why? By faith he obeyed and believed God's word and took the next step in his life. And that was God set the time. God set the place. God set the, thing, the order of the offering. This is what I'm going to do. Well, how does God declare us righteous? I'm not a righteous man. I don't always think righteously or do righteously or say righteous words all the time. I'm a sinful man, but would God dare declare me righteous? Yes, he does. And I'll tell you why God declares me righteous. Because of faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Me? Heavens, no. Based on Jesus Christ, you believe my son. My son now covers your sin. And now God declares me righteous because I believe him. I'm in Christ and he calls me righteous. In the same way that God covered the unrighteousness of Adam and Eve by killing a lamb and then clothing them with a tunic of skin. In the same manner, he covered the sin of Abel because Abel believed God and made this offering unto God that was the right one. In the same way that God declares me righteous because of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, though I'm not always righteous. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says this, Therefore, having been justified, and that word justified simply means this, declared righteous. It's an easy term to remember. God declares you righteous based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's not based on you because you will fail. I will fail. Jesus never does. So God declares you righteous based on his righteousness. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And this is our anticipation. We look forward to and anticipate the hope of God. This peace that now comes is now we who, we who were once enemies with God because of sin, we were estranged from God, going contrary to God's words. 
Now we enter into peace with God. How? Through Jesus. He's the peacemaker. He's the one that gave his life that we might have life. When I trust Jesus, now I'm at peace with the Father. Romans 5.19 says, For as by one man's disobedience, that goes clear back to Adam, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. 2 Corinthians 5.21 explains how that's possible. For he made him, being Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's how it happened. When Jesus Christ went to the cross on purpose, I realized the Romans had him arrested, and we went through all the procedures with the religious leaders who rejected him. But all of that, God foresaw all that, and that all played out exactly the way God knew it would. Nothing caught him by surprise. Jesus was crucified at the hands of men. He came to his own, and his own received him not, and fulfilled Scripture perfectly. And ultimately was then sacrificed and gave himself. No man took his life. He laid it down. And he declared that so. When he was hanging on the cross, he's the one who gave up the ghost. They came around to even break the legs of the other prisoners. You got to get these guys off the cross before Passover. We got to shut this down. They come to Jesus and he's already dead. Because why? Because not a bone in his body was to be broken to fulfill Scripture perfectly. So they didn't need to take a club and break his legs so he would suffocate on the cross. He was already dead. All of this was done perfectly to fulfill the price tag for my sin and yours. He made him to be sin for us. When Jesus Christ was hanging on that cross, he took the sin of the whole world upon himself and paid our sin debt in full. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him because when I, by faith, trust the Savior, now God declares me righteous based on his righteousness, not mine. As a righteous Christ follower, there's steps in life that we take every day. We are called upon to present our lives a living sacrifice. Romans 12.1, Paul pleads this case to Christ followers. He said, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. It's a reasonable service. What does that even mean, a living sacrifice? Well, it's certainly different than a dead one. The living sacrifice is, I now offer myself unto the Lord. I'm still living and breathing and doing life on this planet and giving my life to Christ. That I, God, as you see fit, this is the day. Today, I want to take one more step with you today. Whatever it is, you lay it out in front of me. God, what do you want me to do today? What is my assignment today? And the assignment may be, it may not be so difficult. The assignment may be that today, I want you to love your family well. I want you to go to work and give a full eight hours work for eight hours pay. Today, whenever you're conflicted or whenever there's conflict that comes in your face and somebody gets up in your grill, that you, you respond in a manner which is godly instead of ungodly. That instead of retaliating or vengeance and speaking out words that are destructive, that no, you don't go there. Today, you give it sacrificially in order to advance the gospel somewhere else in the world. This is living sacrifice. It's Lord, not my will, but thine be done. This is the contrast of Cain who says, no, it's my will, and God, I'm not offering you what you're asking for. And we run the risk of this, guys. It's called the way of Cain, even as a Christ follower, 
we can come to the place where I'm really glad I'm saved and I know I'm going to heaven, but the rest of my life, it's for me. I've earned the money. I get the time. It's my time to do my thing and no one's going to tell me what to do. I don't like it. And so, no. And that is the way of Cain. And that's why Paul, same thing, after going through the whole book of Romans and explaining this incredible salvation that we have in Christ and the life that we've been given in him that's eternal. And he's, man, I'm pleading with you. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Why would we not do that? Because sin lies at the door. It's the same thing that happened with Cain. Cain, why would you not? What's wrong? Why will you not offer what God's asking for here? He said, if you don't, sin's going to lie at the door here, and it's going to rule over you. And it certainly does. When we hold back and claim all things for ourselves, sin lies at the door, and eventually it begins to rule our lives. And we wonder, how in the world did I end up there over here when I used to be over here? As a righteous Christ follower, we give uh, sacrifice through praise and thanksgiving. Hebrews 13 teaches this, that therefore by him, by Christ, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. What's the sacrifice? It's the sacrifice of praise. It's the sacrifice of thanks. That same text goes on to say, but do not forget to do good and to share for with such sacrifices God's well pleased. When we sacrifice to do good for others, we're obeying the word of God, which says to do good unto all those, especially of the household of faith. If you have opportunity, do good. What do you mean do good? You meet the need of the, of the poor. You meet someone that has a struggle and you, and you lift them up in prayer. You meet a physical need. You're just doing good. You're not leaving someone abandoned. It's what Jesus described as, you know, when someone is sick and struggling and hungry and thirsty and you're like, hey, dude, be warm and filled. Have at it. Good luck to you. No, it's you do good by meeting those needs and that's a sacrifice unto the Lord. God introduces people into your pathway every day that are in need so that you can, by faith, take a step of making an offering to the Lord to meet the need of someone else. And with that, God is well pleased. Through our generosity, Philippians 4, to take the gospel not only locally but globally, Paul commended the church in, Phil in Philippi for their gift. He said, indeed, I have all and abound. I'm full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice well-pleasing to God. God's honored. When you take the resources that you could have burned up on yourself and to make your nest prettier and all these other things, and you say, no, I'm not doing that. I want to take these things and advance the gospel in my community or somewhere else in the world and get behind missions and ministry. And God says, you know what? That, that's a smell, good smelling sacrifice. That pleases. This offering of Abel 6,000 years ago still speaks the message today. And that's why we don't want to miss this. Back to Hebrews 11, verse 4. And it says, through it, he being dead, still speaks. Let's go back to Genesis to see what, what played out. Now Cain talked with Abel, verse 8, his brother. It came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where, are, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know, liar. Am I my brother's keeper? No, you're his killer. And he said, well, what have you done? 
The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. If you watch Cain's response, God gave him opportunity to repent and make the right offering, and he rejected. Time now passes by, and Cain's anger for his brother now just multiplies because God showed respect unto, uh, unto Abel. And the only thing left is this sin now rules him. It completely inhabits his thoughts, and all he can think of, I hate him, and I want him done off this planet. And when the right opportunity comes, I'll see it through. And when he does see it through, he believes now, he's so deluded that he actually believed that God didn't see any of it. So when God now approaches him about his sin and the hiding of it, he denies all of it. I have no responsibility for this matter. And that's what happens when men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. We're at risk. Anyone in this room, guys, is at risk of it. Because we fall in love with the things of this world. We fall in love with the things that are attractive, that make us feel good. And all of a sudden, they, these things start to take control and take hold. And it lies at the door, and then it doesn't just lie at the door. Now, all of a sudden, it begins to rule. In this case, it's someone who is not a God follower, rejecting the Word of God. But you can see examples of this through Scripture of people who love the Lord and then got rejected God's words and strayed so far off course because the things of this world were too attractive. This obviously is a, a foreshadowing of, of God allowing here the righteous to be slain by the unrighteous. And this part of the story, I think, is hard. I don't know about you, but I have thought these thoughts too many times probably in my life. I do the right thing. Therefore, God's response back to me or God's payment to me should be good. So if I do the right thing and take the steps of faith and things now get hard and I start to suffer great loss and the pain starts to become significant in one way or another, there's something that happens in the soul that says, God's not fair. This isn't right. Why is Abel's life cut short by wicked and unreasonable men who reject the word of God? That's not fair. Why do the martyrs lose their lives when people are standing there screaming at them to recant? Why didn't God like drop down in the middle of that thing and just blast them all? That would have been the great story you want to read and see. But God instead, by his abundant mercy offers to Cain this wicked and unreasonable and unrighteous man and says, Cain, listen, if you do well, sin doesn't have to take hold of you. And God extended through his long suffering, through his mercy, Cain and giving him an opportunity to repent. And even now, after he's killed his brother, God comes to him and giving him another shot here of, where's your brother? What have you done? And Cain goes into total denial. There's something else that you don't want to miss here. This is a huge part of the story. Abel's blood speaks of true righteousness, of making an offering to God, the true, the true offering, which is Jesus Christ himself, the blood offering. But the way of Cain is the way of doom because it's false religion. It's coming to God on my own terms. It's me now, will worship, where I, I do it out of my own will and volition of what I want to do, and God 
God owes me something. If I'm going to give you this, you give me that. And when you don't, I'm done with you because you're obviously not real. And I can tell you right now, guys, this has been a huge struggle the last year. I have ministered and I've praised the Lord for the privilege. And I pray for many today who were, are Christ followers who have strayed and sin is taking hold. Because at one point they sacrificed greatly. They sold everything they had to go to other places to proclaim the gospel. And now sin has permeated a situation here and destruction is taking place. And they can't go back to where they want to be and serve God. And so obviously, I gave it all to God and God didn't return on my investment. God's not fair. I'm done with God. That's the ultimate equation, right? But that wasn't the equation that Abel used. Abel listened to the word of God, took the next step that God told him to take and leave the rest to God because that's what faith does. Regardless of circumstances, regardless of consequences, the next step is just the next right one. Cain's life still speaks. We see the glimpse of this, obviously, throughout Scripture, but you get to the very end of the Bible and you see the great white throne judgment where all of those who come to God on their work are brought before the throne of God, all the book of works are open, and they are now judged by the king based on their work. Sadly, their works will be as filthy rags. They will be insignificant. Nothing will ever pay. Nothing can overcome the sin committed in violation of God's law. And so all of those who try to come to God their own way and reject Jesus, the way, the truth, the life, the one way, all of those who reject that are brought before the throne. You see them kneeling before the Lord Jesus Christ because he is the king and permanently dismissed from the presence of God to a lake of fire and eternal judgment. Why? Because they rejected God. You see the same thing play out in Cain's story. By the time you get finished of God and Cain's interaction, Cain faces a certain doom, and every day the blood of Abel is going to speak to him from the ground because the ground will be cursed. Everywhere he goes, it's going to speak into his life, and he's not going to be able to escape it. It's going to be for good. But not only that, Cain departed from the presence of the Lord. Genesis chapter 4, verse 16. And that's exactly what happens to all who reject Jesus are departed from the presence of the Lord for eternity. So here's the message of Abel that keeps crying out from the ground. It's still being preached today. We come to God by faith and obedience to the word, not by work. We do our work because of our faith in the Lord. We don't come to God expecting to receive salvation because of our work. The message of Christ is even greater than that of Abel. We know Hebrews chapter 12 says this, Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Jesus, Jesus, Get the mediator giving his own life speaks even greater than Abel. And what is the message it speaks? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, that for by grace you're saved through faith, not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not of work, lest anyone should boast. This message of Abel 
speaking still today. Real simple. He heard the word of God and he took the next right step. Did it pay off? Well, if you look at it from a standpoint that moments later or days later, he was killed. His life cut short. He didn't get to see his kids and grandkids all grow up. And we would look at that potentially as, man, that dude got ripped off. Until you read the rest of Hebrews and then see what was going on in the heart of Abel, he was in pursuit of God himself. Not the things that are temporal. He wanted to go to the place where God was, and that's all. That and so the next right step was whatever God told him to do here and now and leave the results up to God. If this is the last day, that's okay. I'm going to do the next right step today. If God gives me tomorrow, praise the Lord, I'll take the next right step tomorrow. The message of Abel. Come to God by faith and obedience, not by your work. Let's bow our heads.